0: For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. I hope everyone is staying healthy and staying safe. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of this podcast. We have an exciting announcement. Well, if ever there was a more important time when workers need to have a voice on the job, it's now. Many workers are returning to their jobs for the first time in months, some never left, and are understandably concerned about the measures their employers are taking to ensure they're safe due to the coronavirus. If you're a union member, you have the power of collective voice to speak up and to bring concerns to management. If you're a union member, you also are more likely to have health insurance, a retirement, and better pay compared to non-union workers, and you have that voice at the workplace. And if you ever wondered the value of having a voice on the job by belonging to a union, consider this. According to the Economic Policy Institute, companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on consultants to prevent workers from organizing. They spend it hiring firms who specialize in what is commonly called union avoidance. Some companies just do the messaging themselves. And we're
1: glad that you've joined the team. Good luck with your new career.
0: We hope that you never have to deal with a union organizing drive in your facility. But if you do, we hope that this video has given you the information you need to stay in control of your valuable signature and your career.
2: Welcome to Walmart. Unions pose a threat to this direct connection. This commitment to a direct connection with our associates makes union representation unnecessary. We are not anti-union, but we are not neutral either. We will boldly defend our direct relationship...
0: Joining with me on the podcast to talk assistants. about union avoidance is Mike Basso, who's outside counsel to the New York State AFL-CIO. Mike, thank you for joining me on the Union Strong podcast.
1: Hi, Darcy. Thank you for having me.
0: So I played a couple of clips from company videos at Walmart and Amazon. they are videos targeting new employees, talking about why the companies feel unions aren't necessary. And that's probably being kind. They don't want workers to organize... Period. So let's start by explaining to folks what union avoidance is. How do you define it? And how prevalent is it here in New York State?
1: I define it very broadly. It covers a couple of different parts of the unionization process. Um, It could start as early as when a company gets off the ground. Uh, Some of these consultants offer services about training managers, training executives, and training frontline supervisors as to how to recognize signs that they may be facing a union organizing campaign. They try to look at different psychological makeup of workers who may be interested in taking on a union organizing campaign. Um, so they look at it from the hiring process as to who they're bringing on board. They try to make it very clear to employees that they want a union-free workplace, and that's something that's very important to their overall company goals. Uh, and they train people to be on the lookout and do periodic assessments to determine whether or not they're out there at a heightened risk of unionization. And that's just in the beginning. Uh, you know, There's another part of it that's more common that we probably see more of on a day-to-day basis, which is what happens once a union organizing drive starts and some of the tactics that these consultants will guide companies through to try to successfully defeat a union organizing campaign. And it could even go on beyond that to companies that have a sector or their entire workforce that is unionized and trying to um, minimize the impact or contain the spread of unionization into other departments or other sectors of their company.
0: So you touched on this a little bit, um, vulnerability assessments, they they actually do something, I've heard of, that's what it's called, right? Vulnerability assessment, we'll talk about, in their terms, labor relations. What What are some of those tactics that they're using to prevent workers from organizing?
1: so on a vulnerability assessment, you know, each of these companies has their own you know, special formula that they employ that they try to use to attract business from different employers in the industries. But what they'll generally do is provide the employer with a breakdown of uh, the risk of unionization in the geographic market they're in, uh, how, how, how much density of a union population is there in their specific market. Uh, they'll also perform a similar study based on the industry. How organizes the industry that the employer uh, is working in? They'll conduct an assessment of how many um, labor disputes there have been in the geographic or you know industrial market that the employer is in. Um, they will then suggest that the employer conduct periodic surveys of their workers and ask their workers what their view of communication from the employer is. Do employers do employees feel like they're involved in the company? Do they feel that? they could trust their supervisors, that they feel like they're being treated fairly. Um, What is the employee's view of their wages and benefits compared to uh, wages and benefits of employees for different companies or with union companies? Um, Do workers feel safe at work? And they'll try to get a feel from the workforce as to whether or not the response to those surveys indicate a likelihood that the workers may be looking to unionize.
0: Have they been very successful?
1: The consultancies' campaigns have been very successful. Uh, I think there is a question as to, you know, how how much of this they are doing before a union organizing drive starts, versus how much of this is actually taking place once a union organizing campaign began. It's hard to really assess um, how much of uh, the vulnerability assessments they have been doing. Or how much of the proactive work they have been doing versus the reactive work. Uh, there's not really a lot of reporting in this field. Um, but if you look at their websites, at least the public face that a lot of these consultants put on the work is a more proactive approach. They try to position themselves as somebody who's trying to help the employer and in doing so, help the employees. They want to make it look like they're trying to build a better place to work, which would avoid you know, the need for a union in their view. Mm-hmm. Um, however, once you get past, you know, the websites and what's on the page and once the union organizing drive starts, it tends to get much uglier, uglier.
0: I was looking around and I saw with some of these union avoidance firms, they're anticipating an increase in union organizing because of this coronavirus pandemic. Um, They're recognizing that, you know, people you saw a lot of job actions. You saw workers standing up and demanding things like the personal protective equipment. Um, you know, reassurances that they can take the time off if they're sick. Do you think that that um, that that would make sense, that that you would see this more union organizing and then this ramp of, of this pushback?
1: It, it does make sense. It, it makes a lot of sense, given all the things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks with response to safe places to work, uh, hazard pay, uh, PPE and making sure workers have protective equipment and some of the concerns that people are seeing on a daily basis. Uh, it also makes sense that you would see uh, these union avoidance firms sort of look to heighten anxiety amongst employers that wish to remain union free. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is definitely a big business. If uh, I think you read earlier, there's an economic policy report that is estimating $349 million a year being spent on union avoidance firms. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a similar. Number in a British journal of industrial relations in 2006 that said it's about seven, several hundred million dollars a year, uh, and these firms, as they are business, you know, try to capitalize on fears that there may be increased union organizing drives. Um, it started around you know the, the great recession when people were looking to organize. They've heightened concerns when. The Obama administration passed laws to make it easier for workers to organize and condense the timelines. They made a big push of spreading awareness or fear of you know, all the union organizing that's been done. You know, and over the last couple of years, we've seen an increase in interest in unionization from you know wildcat strikes you know throughout the country, as well as organizing efforts in different technology and media companies as those new industries are you know, developing and growing. So I think it absolutely makes sense.
0: So you mentioned they can be, you know, they're being proactive, they're being reactive, but have their tactics changed over the years?
1: You know, in some ways, the tactics are very similar to how they've always been. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the extent that they've changed is that they could be a lot more data-driven and they could be using better advantage of technology that's available now. Uh, You know, for example, in a lot of, once you have a union organizing drive in place, you'll see a lot of captive audience meetings Uh, You'll see some one-on-one meetings. You'll see a lot of literature being spread out by the employers um, trying to convince workers that a union's not in their interest. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I always find it ironic how much money uh, employers are willing to spend to convince workers that unions are not in their interest. Um, Exactly. But, you know, those those general tactics are still in play. Mm -hmm. Um, What you'll see is, you know, you'll see employers trying to find ways to monitor calendar invites through their internal networking systems to see if uh, any of the meeting invites or or use of conference rooms gives them a suspicion that this might be something union related as opposed to work related uh, you know that's something that that's a tactic that may not have been available in the past but as these systems uh, develop and now everybody's more integrated through um, you know, mobile devices and, and things along those lines, they're they're looking to take advantage of them.
0: Are you familiar? Didn't something like that happen with Google or was it the employees that noticed on the company calendar? It was the opposite, right?
1: Yes, I believe there was a, a New York Times article on a, a Google using a firm that specialized in these union avoidance techniques. And you know the employees recognized that Higher ups in the company were actually calendaring invites with this particular firm. But there was also, uh, Google installed a tool on the web browser that would flag internal calendar events requiring more than 10 meeting rooms or 100 participants. And some of the workers felt that this was a, a form of surveillance of their activity. Um, you know, at the time, I think it may not have been so much of a, union organizing drive, but there was a lot of discontent amongst the workers about certain actions and policy positions that the company has taken.
0: Mm -hmm. So are there many of these types of firms in New York State?
1: I believe there are. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the larger ones, you know, can operate on a global basis. But in addition to, you know, consulting firms that specialize in union avoidance campaigns or human resources firms that provide uh, union avoidance strategies as part of their um, offerings to employers. You know, there's also a lot of employer-side law firms that provide this type of uh, service for their clients as well.
0: So what? how do they get around, how do these companies get around violating labor laws? I mean, is it are there consequences for what they're doing, and are they violating a labor law by sitting employees, mandating them to come into a meeting, and and um, talking to them about why they wouldn't want to have a union? Is that violating a labor law?
1: Yeah. So there's there's a there's a couple of different questions there. Um, first is, in some cases, they are violating the labor laws. Uh, in in some cases, you know, and, I, and this is the employers. I'm not talking about the consultants, but mm-hmm. in some cases, the employers are violating the labor laws. Um, there was in the same Economic Policy Institute study we reported earlier, uh, they estimated that 41 uh, employers are charged with unfair labor practices and 41.5% of organizing efforts. And, you know, there's no clear correlation between when an unfair labor practice is tied to an election, uh, but the report uh, goes through their data and their analysis as to how they came up with that number. Um, you know, in, in some cases, the, the penalties, to be quite honest, just aren't that severe to avoid. If you fire a worker during an organizing campaign, um, you know, you might try to argue it was because of performance or it was because they showed up late or because they took advantage of leave policies. But at the end of the day, even if the union's able to prove that is retaliation for that worker's support in the organizing drive, um, the worker gets reinstated, they get back pay minus any. Uh, income they were able to receive after they were terminated Mm -hmm. and the employer posted notice. It's just not really a significant um, cost factor or penalty for the employer to feel incentivized that they need to follow the law.
0: So, Facebook recently attempted to blacklist words like unionize in chat. A step too far now. The social media giant is forced to apologize after an attempt to allow businesses to censor words like unionize on its office management platform. The move immediately sparked controversy
1: and backlash from the nation's largest. Uh,
0: Under pressure and specifically a demand from the AFL CIO, Facebook froze production of that software. Uh, Does that tell you a little something more about the current atmosphere that we're in?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm a little familiar with that story. And from mm-hmm. what I gather of it, Facebook has uh, like an internal, where they provide as a service to certain companies, like internal um, communication systems, mm-hmm. right? almost like a Slack or a Microsoft Teams or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were trying to flag every time, you know, this word was used and give that data to the employers so they, so they could track it. Um, what it tells me is that, you know, whatever the exact parameters of that particular program are was it tells me is that this is something employers are looking for, um, that there's a market for it, that, you know, people want to, you know, pay attention to whether their em- employees are or organizing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, something that union avoidance consultants have been, you know, talking to their employees about, you know, in these seminars and in these training programs, you know, keep an eye for the signs of what might lead to a union organizing campaign. Well, if I'm able to flag every time the word is used or who tried to use you know, the word unionization in every chat that goes on on my internal um, software process, it makes it a lot easier to, to figure that out.
0: And again, as of right now, it looks like they did freeze production of that software. So so that's that's good. Um, yes. So what what can a worker do if they are told to attend these mandatory meetings and you're sitting there and feeling uncomfortable? Maybe you were starting to consider, you know, the value of a union is what can they do if they find themselves in a meeting like this and they and they just feel like it's it's wrong? What are the rights? <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, you know, workers have to sit through captive meeting, captive audience meetings, as long as they're held during their work time and they're being compensated for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really have a lot of rights to say, I don't want to listen to this. I'm going to walk out. Um, so it really is you know, something that weighs in the employee employer's favor uh, in terms of organizing campaigns. Um, you know, and, and it really is sort of a the captive audience meetings themselves are <laughs> really uh a strange psychological experiment. Um, There's usually more than one. and There's more than one per shift of worker. And you'll see somebody new who you haven't seen before, who has a good personality, who could talk to a crowd of people. And usually on the first day, they'll come in and they'll say, you know, we understand some of you are unhappy. Uh, You know, we made some mistakes. Our management made some mistakes. This is not the company we think we are. We want to be receptive to your concerns. We want to you know, hear what you have to say. We want to address your problems, um, but we can't really do a run into that right now because there's a union organizing campaign, mm. and the law stops us from taking certain actions during the campaign. But they'll put a very friendly face on the subject, and you know, it'll look like they're very willing to help and address the employees. Then later in the week or the next week, there'll be a similar type of meeting, and you know, the tone will slowly shift from the company being receptive to Uh, workers' concerns and trying to address workers' issues. And it'll be more, you know, misinformation about unions in general. Um, You have to pay dues. There could be a collective bargaining agreement where your dues are deducted before you even see it. If you don't pay dues, we may be required to fire you. Mm -hmm. um, And it starts putting a negative spin on it. And then by the last meeting, you know, they're essentially telling workers, the union can't do anything for you. They can't get you anything that we're not willing to give you. Uh, their only option is to go on strike, and they'll go on strike and pull you off the job, whether you, you know, agree with that or not. And it takes a very dark turn. And you know, when you're a worker, and for a couple of years, a couple of months, you've been going in doing a nine-to-five job, just doing your normal responsibility and just dealing with normal workplace stuff, and now a union organizing drive hits and the employer takes it as an opportunity to basically pit everybody against each other for a month and, you know, feed you misinformation and propaganda, it drastically changes sort of the environment in, in the workplace.
0: And, you know, you touched on this earlier. When you think about the hundreds of millions of dollars these companies are willing to spend, you know, that tells you something because the bottom line is with fewer unions means income inequality rises. So. Uh, that's a, a, you know, pretty in your face and red flag. I think if they go through all these steps in the meetings, and it is getting darker and darker, as you mentioned that, wait a minute, maybe there is something there for me that they don't want me to know about.
1: And, right, right. And, and, you know, if, you know, what we what we tell you know people all the time is, you know, be honest with the folks you're organizing about what you're going to get into. Mm-hmm. And that way, when they see it happen, you know, they, they understand that you know what you're doing and it gives you a chance to educate them. I mean, the number... The two reasons most employers don't want unions in the workplace is because they don't want to lose any control. They'd rather all the employees be at will and they could hire and fire them for virtually any or no reason, you know, that they want. Mm -hmm. And they're concerned about their costs and their profit margins. And, you know, it goes to show you that as much as they'll spend um, to hire consultants to give them this rhetoric about how the union can't do anything, you know, they're willing to spend that money for a reason, mm-hmm. and and I think it just it just proves the point at the end that you know being in a union does does work.
0: It certainly does. Well, Mike Basso, outside counsel to the New York State AFL CIO. Thank you for joining me on the Union Strong podcast. And now uh, please stay safe and stay healthy.
1: Thank you, Darcy. See you too. And
0: where does Walmart stand on all of this? Our philosophy is simple. We are pro associate. Here, all associates are free to talk openly with their leaders. I'm completely comfortable sharing my ideas and concerns with my leaders, and I know that they really listen to what I have to say. Joining me now is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. I think I hear a little dog in the background.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, during uh, uh, COVID, my daughter came to me and said, uh, oh, I'm home all the time. What if I had a puppy now? It's hard to say no during that. So, yep,
0: it's a little little puppy
2: barking in the background. Yeah, it's a perfect time to do that.
0: (laughs) So I teased at the top of this podcast an exciting announcement. And I know, Kevin, this is something you've been working on for quite a while. Can you tell everyone what that is?
2: Absolutely. We've developed the Union Strong app uh, with our partners, and it's out and available. So if you go to our website, newyorkstateaflcio.org slash unionstrongapp, uh, you can use the link to download the app, and then you'll be part of our program. Uh, you can get your information from your local union, from us, uh, from local labor federations. Uh, it's a great place for everyone to be able to find uh, labor information important to them in one place on their phone. Uh, we'll have events up there. We'll have breaking news. Uh, we'll have podcast releases and, um, you know, political communications. We'll have, uh, stuff that's important to your workplace. Uh, all kinds of information will be up there and it'll be right to your phone.
0: So that's great. So what we, so we want people to go to our website Mm-hmm. Uh, New York State AFL-CIO.org. That's where you can download the app. Um, so yeah. make sure you do that. It's called Union Strong. And then we also want you to um, subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, give us a rating. And uh, so all we want basically is everything, right? <laughs> 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 One more thing we're asking from you, but it's all for good. It's all for the the, the uh, uh, raising up uh, working people. So that's what we're all about here. So Kevin, absolutely. Thank you. We're really excited. Um, I've been playing around with the app uh, since you got us on board. The staff uh, last week and it's, it's pretty sharp and it's pretty cool and easy to use. So I look forward to being able to get information from there as well.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Excited as well.
0: You doing all right?
2: Doing good. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, uh, almost here in the phase four, uh, Mm -hmm. in, in the capital district and, you know, things are, are looking good. It's, I think it's because, uh, you know, you look around the rest of the country and sometimes there's spikes mm-hmm. and, uh, New York's doing so well. Well, New York's also the highest union density in in the country. And we have a well informed, uh, population and, mm-hmm. and people are doing the right thing. So, you know, hopefully we can get back to, uh, the way things were, but, but with the safety of workers as first and foremost, but I, I'm doing pretty good.
0: Good. Good. Glad to hear it. And I'm I'm sure we'll all be back together in the office uh, before you know it. So we we look forward to that. All right. Well, um, until next time, stay union and stay strong. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin.